which is the vast majority of parents in America think that the best way for their kids to grow is to focus like solely on the subjects in which they do the worst. And I tell people that's like telling Usain Bolt, your 100 meter time, really good. You're doing great out there. But you know what? Your mile time sucks. So we're not going to let you work on the 100 meters anymore. You're going to run the mile. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Start Ed Up podcast, a member of the Education Podcast Network. That voice you just heard at the top of the show was that of Kurt Mercadante. Kurt is an influencer on LinkedIn. He is a coach. He is a guide. He is a blogger and also a podcaster. But what he is is just really helpful. I kept coming across his work, and he's kind of a distinguishable look. He's you know, got he's bald and got the beard thing going on. And I just kept getting attracted to some of his work and some of the things he was saying. So I reached out to him. Full disclosure, uh, my, my daughter reached out to him first and he's been really helpful for her and her journey. Um, but uh, really was honored to have him on the show. In this episode, you're going to hear a lot about uh, not only his upbringing, but some of the keys to his success and his mindset on a lot of things. So it's for this reason I know you're going to love it. But enough dilly-dallying around. I think that he can speak well for himself. So enjoy this one, Kurt Mercadante. All right, so I'm now excited to welcome Kurt Mercadante to the show. Kurt, thanks for joining me. Don, it's such a pleasure to be here. I started falling into your world, and um, I got to say, like, we have a lot in common. And, and the piece you wrote about your dad hmm. was... Um, difficult and beautiful and awesome. Uh, and I, I'm going to start there because I'm, I'm, I'm an educator and uh, was, you know, my dad and I are still best of friends. Um, but listening to some of your dad's wisdom and how he led by example, uh, I'll start it off with this story. And some of the, some of the listeners are like, oh my gosh, this is the same story. I've done it at least three times. But my, <laughs> my, my first year, I wasn't always a teacher. In my first three years out of college, um, I did something else. And my dad was an educator and they paid for all of my college. And so when I told him I was going to go back to school to go to, to be a teacher, I wasn't asking for money. And I didn't know if he'd be mad because he had <laughs> just paid for four years. Um, and I'd only worked for two and a half years in this particular career. But his piece of advice was, he's like, you know, I don't care if you want to be a teacher. He says, but, you know, promise me one thing. You like, I don't care if you teach for the next 20 years. Just don't teach one year 20 times. <laughs> and that has still, and, and like, this is my 20th year of teaching. I just completed. Um, so I don't know where to go from here. But uh, I, I, when I got that sagely advice, it's always stuck with me. And then I started, you know, reading the, the things about your dad. So this is the world's longest introduction. <laughs> Kurt, Mercadante, tell everybody what you, what you do and, uh, and all about your blog and everything else and Freedom League and everything else. Yeah, well, yeah, it, it, it is. Um, well, I don't know when you'll air this, but as we sit here, it is the lead up to Father's Day week. So it is an appropriate discussion to have. Um, so my name is Kurt Mercadante. I am a coach. And if you ask me what type of coach I am, it depends on the outcome you like. Sometimes I'm, I'm an executive coach. Sometimes I'm a life coach. Um, and I've, I've even been a health coach for some people, mental and physical. Uh, it all depends on the outcomes that you want from coaching. And I used to try to pigeonhole myself. And I, I used to reject life coach. I'm not a life coach. But I, you know, I had a, I was in the public relations and even worked in politics for over 20 years. And I had an agency that 
did great from the outset. I was fortunate to have some early clients. But about five years into it, the revenue grew every single year. And at five years into it, I wanted to give it all up. I was overwhelmed. I was frustrated. I was spinning my wheels. I would work, uh, you know, I had a home office. I would work all day. I'd come down for dinner. Then I go right up back to the home office until four in the morning. I'd come down. I'd go to sleep. I'd wake up at 630. I'd do it all over again. And I was miserable. And so I, I got a coach and, you know, someone that helped me with the business side of things and it helped me scale the business. You know, there's a difference between growing and scaling. Growing is you're just looking at the numbers and you can be frustrated and hate it. Scaling is you're doing it in alignment with the other parts of your life, family and self. And so I learned to scale it, but I still had these, this fulfillment problem. And when I say fulfillment problem, and this was a, a part of the article that you referenced, you know, my dad passed away in 2012 and he had had a long fight. Uh, you know, they gave him six months. He fought for several years, cancer, first prostate and then bladder cancer. And so my dad over the, you know, the course of his life was kind of a real life Tony Stark. He worked on the space program. You know, some of this we didn't really know until after he passed away and found letters from NASA because uh, he was pretty humble, but he worked on fighter jets and uh, he'd tell me about being out in the desert as they were testing the fighter jets. He helped, he led the team that designed all the electric switches, electronic switches on the Boeing 777. So he did all those things. Math whiz, you know, University of Notre Dame engineering school. He was a mechanical engineer and I can't do math to save my life. Right. So I'm kind of the opposite. I forget what's right lane, left brain, but I was the writer. I was the communicator. And so when he passed away, you know, not only did he have a life and we, you start talking about the things that he did and finding the letters from NASA, but at his funeral, he had, uh, you know, grown men just in tears, bawling about the impact. They missed my dad. Some of them were in the Notre Dame club. You know, he was president of that. And, and whenever he got into something, he had to lead it, right? Not because he was egotistical or arrogant. It just naturally happened. There's people like that. And uh, he read at a place for the blind where you would read audiobooks. So he would read these books. Uh, there was a homeless, he helped with a homeless uh, called PADS. They would provide shelter for homeless at the church, very active in church. And so when he passed away, it kind of ripped open this wound where, like, what the heck am I doing? Like, you know, here I am. Uh, I was five years or so at the time, I was like 37, 38. And my dad did this. What are people going to say if I died this afternoon? Would, would any, I, other than my wife, my kids, would anyone care? <laughs> you know, you, you start thinking that way. And what impact am I going to have on the world? And so I had that feeling for several years that, and I was a little bit guilty. Listen, my, my agency's going great. I'm taking care of my family. We're doing all these things. You know, in the meantime, we moved from Illinois down to South Carolina. Okay, we're, we're, we're making progress, but I still feel like something's wrong. And I started unofficially coaching some friends and colleagues business-wise because they're like, listen, you have freedom. You know, I'd post pictures, you know, working on the back deck, things like that. And I did have freedom. But what I realized was I didn't have fulfillment. And um, so when I started coaching them at the end of the day, I didn't have that feeling that I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. Like I wasn't making an impact. And so then it dawned on me, you know what, I'm going to go into coaching. And I ended up, I had a three-year plan to ramp down my agency and ramp up coaching. It turned into a four-week plan because once you unplug from the matrix, 
that's a, you know, uh, not only the movie, but Tom Bilyeu, he talks about that. There's, there's like no going back. You realize how absurd things are and how absurd people are acting within the matrix. And so I just shut it down at peak revenue. And um, I've never looked back and I've never been more fulfilled. Yeah, I like hearing that. One, because I, I, I too have the same thing. I mean, my, my dad's in good health and, and um, sometimes I'm like, actually he struggles with me being too busy and, and I'm always trying to tell him I'm productive, not busy and all that other good stuff. But <laughs> <laughs> wanting to live up to the legacy because, you know, parallel lives here, you know, my dad was a school teacher and the coolest thing, the coolest feeling in the world is that I'd go to the mall and people would stop me and they're like, Oh, your dad. And my chest would stick out and my shoulders would throw back. And I'm like, yeah, that's my dad. Yeah. Um, which for probably better or for worse, why I eventually got into teaching. I just, I wasn't emotionally fulfilled. I mean, the job was good, but I was like, eh, I'm not helping anybody. Uh, so that really hit home with me. But the other thing is, yeah, the, the, the matrix. I mean, there's been some decisions I made that at the time seemed like they were difficult decisions. And then I realized that they weren't difficult decisions at all. They were difficult decisions for other people to handle. Yeah. Right. They were, they were like, well, that doesn't make sense. Why would you do that? Or why would you leave that? And, uh, because I, you know, saw past the matrix and, uh, I, I, I totally identify that. And, and since then I'm sure life has tasted, I mean, I'm, I know there's still highs and lows, but, um, you know, you can get into the freedom league and what it stands for, but you know, just, your freedom and you dictating you, I'm sure tastes so much sweeter. Yeah. And it's a constant process, but at the end of the day, you know, what, what led to, to, to kind of the lack of fulfillment was this like a, a imposter syndrome times, you know, a hundred. And, and some of it has to do with, I think our, our system, not just educational system. When I say that, I don't mean teachers. I mean the system, the society we're in. Right. And, it you're made to feel bad if you don't master 13 subjects. And, um, you know, you're made to feel bad if you are in remedial math or don't just don't get it. Right. And that was me. And meanwhile, my dad couldn't understand it. You know, I don't know math. You don't know this. I wanted to emulate my dad, but I didn't have those strengths that he did. We were just fundamentally different on that. <laughs> There's a lot of us that are alike, uh, parts of us that are alike, but fundamentally different when it came to our strengths and our skills and the ability to do things. And so I was trying to kind of mimic him and be him, and I couldn't. And I felt like I was a failure until it dawned on me, saving the world doesn't necessarily mean building the Iron Man suit. There's other ways to do it. And I found that way. And I think a lot of people, you know, the, 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 the main way that people are developed in society is called the deficit-based de- development model, where we focus on fixing weaknesses. And Gallup has researched that the vast majority of parents in America think that the best way for their kids to grow is to focus like solely on the subjects in which they do the worst. And I tell people, that's like telling Usain Bolt, your 100-meter time, really good. You're doing great out there. But you know what? Your mile time sucks, so we're not going to let you work on the 100 meters anymore. You're going to run the mile. And people laugh when I say that. <laughs> they apply that elsewhere. It's yeah. ludicrous. And no, it's not I mean, that- using that metaphor, it just makes so much sense 
but you're right. Like, and again, being in education, I see so many times where parents spend inordinate amounts of money and time. And a lot of times at the detriment of just sucking their will to live on things that like, look, I get like you may need later in life, but instead of enhancing what they're already good at, just sticking it to them on the things that they don't like. And that's why people get, I mean, I used to get math anxiety, like big time. And I would sweaty palms and everything. And, and me, for me, you know, I'm 43 and I have yet to use algebra in my life at all. Now that's not saying you shouldn't be competent in things. My dad was excellent at what he did. They identified him in eighth grade, you know, it was a different time, right? Although you're doing, you're doing some of this. They identified him as eighth grade, as a math whiz, as, as someone who had an aptitude for, you know, going in that direction. They took him and his parents in, my grandparents, and said, you have an aptitude for math. You're great at this stuff and science. How would you like to go on an engineering track? Because we think you should go to Brooklyn Tech High School. He lived in Brooklyn, New York. And my dad's like, that's awesome. And my father or my grandfather was like, yeah. So they put him on a track in eighth grade. Now at the time, it was even a question. It wasn't even just, you want to go to Brooklyn? It's like, do you want to go to high school? Because in those days, you could go and work. (laughs) Like in eighth grade, I guess. 13 years old. Um, But they put him on that track. Did he know how to write? Yes. Was he literate? Yes. But they didn't say, okay, you're really good at math, but we're going to lock you in a room until you know, you know, participles. <laughs> it just, it didn't, it, it, they amplified what he was great at and he ended up living that life. Now I'm just afraid that everyone has to be an expert in all 13 subjects um, to the detriment of strengths because it's all about college ready, career ready, you got to know all 13 because you got to be well-rounded. Um, and uh, it's just, I think it's BS. Yeah, it is. Especially because we don't know what the careers are anymore. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I and mean, what they won't be. Right. I mean, seriously, like uh, the amount of careers that have just been invented in the last year, let alone, you know, I love it when Boston, when not Boston Scientific, what is it? Uh, they keep putting out the videos of their robots they keep making and each month they get better. And you're like, wow, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at so many jobs being replaced in front of my eyes. And yeah, instead, we're pushing them to careers that might not exist in five years. There's an excellent book I just finished. Uh, it, it's, it's scary or it's exciting, depending on your mindset, I guess. And it's by uh, Dr. Vivek Wadwa, who works, I believe, with NASA and I forget what, what colleges, but it's called The Driver in the Driverless Car. And then no, it's he talks about a lot of AI bots, everything that's coming, and re- talks about everything from teachers to lawyers to doctors going away. Not all of them, but going away because it very personalized oh, yeah. the ability. Absolutely, to get yeah. And he said we're either going to have uh, Star Trek, or we could have Star Trek, or we could have Mad Max. Um, you know, I could see it going both ways because once the politicians get involved, yeah, their job, or at least they they see their job as protecting disaffected communities. And so what they'll do is they'll try to regulate it to stop it, to protect jobs. They can't stop it, but what they can do is yeah. um, make it so we, we're not adapting as, as, as well as we can. And it's a mess. I mean, whenever politicians get involved, that's, but agreed. <laughs> no, I, I, it's, it's, there's a an article, actually it's way too long, really, really long in Mother Jones. And I believe the title is called, uh, You're Going to Lose Your Job and, fa- and Sooner Than You Think. 
And it is shocking that like they're just breaking it down per year on what's going to come next. And you're like, whoa, it's, it's, it's something else. And no one seems to care or buy it. They think it's 30 years off. And it, it really is. I mean, you know, Uber, the drivers want to unionize. Uber's like, okay, go ahead. You're going to be gone in five years. We're going to have, or less. We're going to have all, you know, the uh, fast food workers want $15 minimum wage. McDonald's like, sure, give it to them. You're all going to be gone in five years or less. And, uh, you know, doctors, you talk about, and so I, I'm hopeful because all these policy arguments and the toxic nature that we have on both sides, no one's innocent when it comes to politics. When you talk about healthcare costs, when you talk about education, when you talk about, uh, you know, a state like Illinois, that's 200 or $120 billion in pension debt. And a lot of that's because of related to education, et cetera. We have the ability and all the things we're talking about to disrupt ourselves completely out of all these problems. You know, in India now, they've been able, because of a tablet app, to completely, um, it's, um, I can't remember the, the, my wife had it, but it's, you have high blood pressure. And when you're giving birth, you can, you can have strokes because your blood pressure gets so high and you can hemorrhage just simply because of a tablet app, because they can't get doctors into some of these areas of India, like the the mortality rate has dropped. And when you look at those things and you look at the maze of doctors you have to see on any given day and you have to go see them, it's going to start in rural areas here. When there's not a need for doctors or doctor visits, uh, there's going to be no excuse to charge us five different times for a hospital visit. And it's just going to disrupt itself away. Now people are going to be out of work because of it. Um, so we got to deal with that, but, um, I, I tend to think, yeah, all these arguments I keep reading darn near everything devolves down to, do you believe in basic universal income or not that there's going to be so much <clears throat> not around, you know, we were laughing five years ago and Bill Gates is like, Hey, let's start taxing the robots. And I'm like, Oh, you silly. And that seems to be like one of the few options out there to like, look, we're going to be so automated that uh, we got to come up. And, and the, the, the amazing thing is, and I was actually one of my earlier episodes, I talked to a guy that owns a uh, internet of things company and he saw the bright side on this. <clears throat> he brought up the fact that, you know, women a uh, hundred years ago, it took them all day to create two meals and it was terrible and it was backbreaking work. And now things are so easy. Women have found different things to do including getting new careers and things of this nature. And so he says, you know, if, if, if we look at life as our emotional fulfillment is through jobs, yes, we've got some problems. Right. But if we can start reimagining things where we can live and bring joy to each other without having to do a nine to five, then, you know, it's just a whole new paradigm. And I dig that. I like his idea because, you know, what if money weren't an object? And what would you do with your time? And um, that's a heck of a thing because I've seen both sides. I mean, <laughs> what, what is the uh, idle time is the devil's hands. Right. <laughs> More kids get themselves into trouble because they're bored. Um, but uh, I think that if we see ourselves like, it, you know, we're not con- constantly comparing ourselves to this job or that job before all this kind of like in this, well, <laughs> but the, 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 the movie Wally is both either <laughs> right. awesome or awful, depending on how you look at I it. I had like, that in my mind. As you oh yeah. We're all blobs. You know, it's, which, by the way, the entertainers were the only ones that really had jobs. 
Right, right, exactly. <laughs> the actors were the only ones left. They, 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 they needed to entertain us uh, so we could leisurely sit around. The, um, you know, I, I tend to, I tend toward Austrian economics and, to, and free markets. And I believe it was Hayek who, some people will say, oh, he was all for universal basic income. No, what he said was, if we had to do it, if it was the best of a whole bunch of bad options. And his point was, if we could replace the bureaucratic state with universal basic income, I mean, I, I've even seen it, you know, if we, if we just gave everyone a billion dollars or something or a million dollars, like yeah. that's the help. We could actually do that and get rid of the bureaucracy and deliver it, just give mm. it to them. So that, w- that would be an interesting, I think less bureaucracy would be, would be and less government would be good all around. Right. The thing that we would have to figure out is in Wally, they were, they were, yeah, they found a new paradigm where they didn't have to work to do it. But what happened? They all were like 500 pounds. Yeah. And so we'd have they to couldn't find... do anything for themselves. Yeah, exactly. And I, I get, I get people, listen, gasp. I charge for my services as a, co- as a coach. And every once in a while, I'll get someone on LinkedIn saying, oh, well, I clicked through and you're charging. And if you really wanted to help people, you give it for free. And I, I told someone earlier today, I said, listen, if I had a billion dollars in the bank, and I could work for free and I didn't need the money, I would still charge money. I might charge more because what I find is, you know, pressure makes a diamond. If people don't have skin in the game and they don't have that constant pressure, which is, I see a lot of mental health issues where there's a guy named, you may know him, Toph Evans. He wrote a book. He's big on LinkedIn. He had mental health. He was near suicide. He he described, he lives in, uh, I think, Queensland, Australia, it's like paradise, right? There's a lot of kids that have it all and they have money, but their mental health issues are through the roof because they don't have that pressure on them. They don't have, and so if we don't have that pressure, I'm worried that, um, uh, and I'm not saying we shouldn't have work and that we, 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 you know, we shouldn't find fulfillment elsewhere. We, we have to find something that will turn us into diamonds rather than just being lazy and drinking all our food out of straws like in Wally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let me go back to that. I mean, so, you know, one of your main focuses is, you know, there at the Freedom League is, is taking those risks and, and starting to get yourself out there. Um, what is, let's give me a top three list on things holding your clients, i.e. people back. Yeah. I mean, the number, the number one thing is fear. And that comes with kind of false limits that either we place on ourselves or other people place on us. And it was something you said earlier about the decisions I made were bad for other people, right? And so we live our lives in many places, in many cases, sometimes according to what our parents laid out for us at four or how they saw us at 15. You know, I have high school friends who are living the exact lives they said they were going to live when we were in high school. Now, some of them may be perfectly fulfilled. Some of them I know are not. Um, But they can't see out of that box. And so when they look at me, they make fun of me or they laugh because, oh, I'm doing speeches now. Oh, you're just a motivational speaker. I mean, I'm, I'm fine with people calling me a motivational speaker, but they, they're talking about it in, term, in, in a different way. You know, we homeschool our kids. We've decided what's wrong for us. People, other, people who would otherwise never talk about religion, politics, or anything 
will come up to us that we homeschool and tell us we're doing, that's bad. Like that is the one thing that will make them come out of their shell <laughs> and, and express their opinion. And it's like, oh, I didn't realize we were hurting you. So it's fear, it's limits placed on ourselves by, sometimes by society or others. Um, and um, it, it is a, sometimes, it, it's a, what I like to call a comfort zone of misery that a lot of people find themselves in. And it's, you ever have that day where it's a Saturday, right? And you're like, oh, I worked hard this week. And you're, you're sitting on the couch, you're watching TV. And you're like, man, I really would love to go out and play basketball. I'd love to go out with my family and do something. But you know what, the game's on and I'm so comfy in this chair right now. And you do that. And at the end of the day, you're antsy and you feel like you've, you failed that day. People do that for years and decades that they don't want to rock. Yeah. They don't want to make a change. They don't want to get out of the chair. And I say, get, you know, get your ass off the couch, go start making a difference because it's easy. And once you do it one day, then it becomes easier the next day. And then that turns into five years or 10 years. And people keep saying, I'm going to do your program, but hit me up in six months when I have another 500 bucks saved. I said, that's cool. You're not going to do it, but that's fine because 20 years goes by. And then they're like, oh, I kept saying that year after year after year. Yeah, that's the one thing I've seen with Gen Z that gives me hope. And, and actually, the, the paradigm shift hit me hard because um, I, I'm a Reaganite. And, you know, I grew up during that administration and, you know, kind of the whole, you know, grit and rigor kind of thing. You know, if you just, you may hate your job, but daggone it, if you're lucky enough to get on at GM, you stick it through and maybe, just maybe, you can retire at age 58. And you say that to a, in some cases, millennials, but also Gen Z, they're like, wait, 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 let me get this straight. So I'm lucky to get a job that I don't enjoy, just toil through it until I'm how old, then I can enjoy life. Nah, man, I'd rather be a barista. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and well, the, the sad thing is, of course, you know, barista is also highly in danger of being automated. <laughs> but, but I'll at least say that, like that whole societal expectation that, you, that, that hit, you know, uh, baby boomers that, that was impressed upon in my generation as well. Like it, it's not, and a lot of people are like, oh, that's just laziness or them being narcissistic. I, I think they're onto something. Like I'd rather fulfill, I'd rather pursue a life of purpose and meaning than toiling through a quote unquote good paying job so I can retire and then start enjoying my life at age 60. Yeah. And I, you know, I, it's funny because I had someone tell me when it was my first job out of college and I was bored to tears and I just didn't like it. And I remember a friend of mine told me, you should just be happy you have a job. And that was the mentality. And I feel like maybe I'm on, I'm on the border of when people stopped thinking that way. And, and so, you know, there's part of me that's like, I'm glad that people want fulfillment. I'm glad. And that's a big thing with the, uh, whether it's millennials or gen, I'm not even sure of the labels anymore, but, but uh, that people want fulfillment. And if they don't have that, they're going to, they're going to switch and they're going to go find it elsewhere. I think that's wonderful. Um, there's other parts of it that I think, I think there's a fine line. Uh, um, maybe it's not a fine line, but it's a, you know, I had a friend who posted a picture recently of, uh, dead American soldiers at Normandy. And he had people jump all over him because it was too negative and it was too sad. I used the word adversity once and someone 
on LinkedIn and someone said, I prefer the words, those are too sad and negative and she preferred other words. So I think we have to be, um, I think they're on the right track in terms of, I want my fulfillment and I'm, if you're not going to provide it to me, I'm going to go elsewhere and get it. I think though, and it goes back to what I said about the, the pressure of creating a diamond, we need to figure out a way to bring that back. Um, we need to, you know, the, the Washington Post had a recent story that two thirds of the millennial generation don't know basic facts about the Holocaust and they don't know what Auschwitz is. That to me scares the hell out of me because, um, you know, I forget who said it, but you know, those who don't know history are condemned to repeat it. And that is what worries me. And everything can't be nice and rainbows and life's not that way. And I think sometimes we're raising, and it's not their fault. I don't know if it's pop psychology making its way to parents. Oh, when people bully you, show them empathy. No, no, <laughs> you know? So there's gotta be, we can seek fulfillment, but also be willing, you know, uh, to eat crap once in a while. And um, so it's this balance that I don't think we've figured out yet. Yeah, agreed. Well, um, speaking of all that and all the coaching and all the other resources, tell everybody how best they can find you and, and, uh, and the sites and everything. Yeah, so absolutely. So my website is Kurt with a C, KurtMercadante.com. Uh, I am extremely very active on LinkedIn. I'm on all the, the social networks, but LinkedIn is where you'll find me, my videos, uh, various posts, articles. And if you can't spell my last name, just type in Kurt with a C, coach, and then type in Dumbledore because a few people nicknamed me the Dumbledore of LinkedIn because of my beard. And so I'm sure some posts will pop up and you can find me from there. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I've, yeah, that's also where, where Ava found you. We, we uh, saw you hyperactive there on LinkedIn and, and uh, have been a fan ever since. Well, Kurt, A, yeah, just I love the background, love some of the, the stories because uh, leading parallel lives here. But I, I love that uh, you're just bringing so many people value and you're allowing them to start finding their own freedom, um, both putting some of the fears aside and then also, you know, doing a little hand holding and, and uh, making them brave to, to go into the into the unknown. So sincerely, sincerely appreciate what you're doing, man. Oh, well, I thank you. And I and, I, and I'm a big fan of what you're doing. So it's uh... I'm glad that Ava had me on her podcast because then I found you and then I've become a disciple and it's, it's, it's excellent. All right, Kurt, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Don. Well, there you go. Go follow the man, Kurt Mercadante. Find him on LinkedIn. Go to his blog, go to his website, all that good stuff. The reason why we find people like this, although, as he said, technically my daughter found him, but the reason why we do normally grow is we have great recommendations. We just had a couple more roll in yesterday. I sincerely appreciate that. Also, uh, our foundation is officially launched. We'll probably do an episode on that here soon. Uh, but the Start It Up Foundation is providing mentorship, guidance, networking, and seed funding for young high school entrepreneurs. Go check that out. StartEdUpFoundation.org. Help us spread the word. Until then, this is Don Wetrick reminding you that opportunities are everywhere. We'll see ya.